Hi, welcome to Notes from a Drama Watcher, a podcast about East Asian dramas. It's part review, part recap, so there will definitely be spoilers ahead. Let's go! Hi, this is episode 32 of Notes from a Drama Watcher. This is your host, M. Welcome if you are new and welcome back if you've been here before. In this episode, we will be talking about Inspector Koo, episodes one and two, Cutie Pie, episodes one through three, First Love Again, episodes one through four, and Not Me, episodes 11 and 12. So we're going to start off with Inspector Koo. Inspector Koo is a Korean drama. It can be found on Netflix. It's a 2021 drama and there are a total of 12 episodes. I'm going to read the summary from my drama list. It's not a long summary. A hard-boiled investigative comedy drama that centers around the insurance investigator Kyu Kyung-yi who investigates a murder case. Kyu Kyung-yi, an intelligent woman who solves cold cases for the thrill of cracking the case rather than bringing justice to the world. By hook or by crook, she ferociously chases the truth behind every case. A college student who is a serial killer plots an accidental murder case to defraud her insurance money. It's kind of a weird (laughs) summary, but I guess in essence, that's what it is. Um, Inspector Coombe, she actually has an acquaintance. She knows this serial killer that they're talking about. Inspector Coombe used to be a police officer. Tragically, her husband died years ago. He was a teacher in a high school, and he happened to be the teacher of this college student, Song Yi Kyung. She was a student of Inspector Koo's husband. And when we first meet Inspector Koo, she is pretty much, I don't know that she's a hoarder because they get rid of her things and she's not necessarily heartbroken about it, but she is someone who has become a gamer. She's no longer a police officer. She's become a gamer. She just spends the whole time at home and has kind of lost connection with um, with others, except for someone who works in this insurance agency who still keeps contact with her and calls on her expertise as an, a consultant. Because even though in some ways Inspector Koo is in her own world, etc., she's still got this amazing ab- ability to think things through and to figure things out. She has not lost her, her uh, abilities that she had as a police officer. So our characters, as I mentioned, are Inspector Koo, Song Yi Kyung, who is the serial killer. And that's actually not much of a spoiler. Anyway, uh, as my intro says, there will be spoilers, but it's not much of a spoiler because you see from the beginning that Song Yi Kyung is, is the serial killer in this show. They're not hiding it or trying to be coy about it. You know who it is. But in any case, Naja Hee is the person who works for the insurance company. Also in this show, we have Sansa. Uh, the character Sansa, who's kind of of a supporting role. He was someone who used to play online gaming with Inspector Koo, and she decides to hire an assistant, or Naja, he makes her hire an assistant, <laughs> and they hire Santa to work with her because in some ways, Kyung Yi trusts him, even though she hasn't even really met him in real life, but she does meet him and he joins her cases. He is mute, or he appears to be mute, except that in episode two, you see him talking a bit. So there's some kind of mystery around why it is that he is pretending to be mute other than than whatever this pretense is seems like a very sweet guy and of course it's very difficult to work with inspector kyung yi because inspector ku because she's in her her own world and really would just rather be gaming 
So episode one, she's calling to consult on this insurance case to find out if this, if a husband had committed suicide. And when she goes to investigate what happens to him, she discovers other mysterious deaths that have occurred in this village, surrounding this village, etc., and finds out that the husband is in fact, he's not dead, he's actually alive. But as she's pursuing him to ask questions, he winds up being killed. It looks like an accident. She suspects it to be murder. And as she thinks about the other accidental deaths that have occurred near the village, she realizes that those are probably murders as well. So in episode two, she kind of wants to investigate further about this. And she meets a mysterious person, Chief Young Suk, who is played by Kim Hae Suk. Even if you don't recognize the name, you would recognize her. She's always playing the mom or at this point, grandma. And so many Korean dramas, you would immediately recognize her if you saw her. She's this mysterious figure who, for some reason, gets very fascinated by Inspector Koo and decides to sort of hire her to figure out who is committing these murders to find the real identity of K. K is what they call this person that they suspect of being the serial killer. In episode two, we see that K, our serial killer, actually does not work alone. There's a young man who also does the killings with her. This actress who plays K, I don't think I've seen her before. I think they cast the perfect person in this role. She looks so extremely innocent. No one would really suspect her of being this sociopath, basically. You see from episode one that she was a sociopath from way back. We don't see her as a small child, but already in high school, she really hurts someone and almost kills them. And she doesn't understand like what it was that she did wrong. So she really is just a sociopath. As she's gotten older, she goes to counseling and everything like that, but it hasn't really helped her. She's just learned to hide things and to appear as if she was a regular person. But it's not true. She's still doing her things in the backgrounds. Now, in that summary I just read, they, they uh, described it as a comedy and a drama. And I guess that's true. It's definitely a drama because you've got this inspector who is trying to fill out the connection between, figure out the connection between all of these deaths, but also a comedy in the way that she's kind of, Goofy's not the word. She's just, Inspector Koo is just in her own, just kind of in her own world. And she gets poor Sansa and so all these scrapes with her as she's investigating things. But She's in her own world as a way of protecting herself, basically, because her husband, on the one hand, they, in episode two, Kay goes to find out what it was that happened to Inspector Koo's husband because she finds out something about him. And the rumor is that he took his own life. But actually, Inspector Koo at one point says that she killed him. So you don't know exactly what that means. Maybe she's feeling guilt about what happened to him. Maybe she actually did kill him because he is he was suspected or there was a rumor that he may have killed one of his students. So that is what makes Inspector Koo just be kind of in her own world in a way. She's just really grieving. She's confused. She doesn't know if her husband did this thing or not. And especially for someone who is as smart as she is and as good as figuring out conspiracies and and who done it type of thing, it's really difficult to not be able to figure out if her husband really did this thing that they that was rumored about him. But now she meets Kay, right? And she doesn't she doesn't know that that's Kay. They finally really meet in person at the end of episode two. And Kay just kind of pretends that she doesn't know her. And at the end, Inspector Koo asks her 
why are you pretending that you don't know me? And the episode ends like that with them kind of confronting each other. So far, it's pretty interesting. If you're someone who's into thriller and detective stories, uh, this might be something you might want to watch. I'm going to continue watching it definitely. Like I said, the the actress that's playing Kay, I think, is perfect because she's just got such such an innocent look on her face. When you get to know her, though, I guess you're not really fooled. She has a high school friend who suspects immediately that she is the one who almost killed a the janitor on staff, mainly because he was hurt right after she made a remark about him. Or not about him, because she didn't know who who it was she was talking about. But she made a remark that whoever had hurt these these kittens that they had should die, I think was what she said. And then right away after that, he gets hurt. And the person he made the remark to was, she made the remark to was Kay. And so she begins to suspect her. And of course, she's right to suspect her. And in episode two, they meet up later as adults. They're now in college. And she is still very scared of her. And actually, Kay, so this is one thing where you see she she I guess sort of wants to have a human connection because she still considers this girl to be her friend or I guess wants her to be her friend even though she is so scared of her and is surprised when she goes to reach out to touch her hair and the and the girl flinches back from her and you can tell it sort of affects her and it's probably the only thing that really affects her so there's her kind of one chance at real human connection and it's just not working out for her so we'll see what happens in the coming episodes. We don't know her motivation quite yet for what it is that she does, except for maybe just wanting to, but we don't know her real motivation. We have the other gentleman, or I shouldn't call him a gentleman, the other person we see who was working with her to kill people. What is his story? How did they meet? Why is he working with her? So, and also um, Inspector Ku's husband, what is the story behind his death? Did he really kill the other student as had been rumored? And then what is Santa's deal? Why is he pretending to be mute when he can in fact talk? So there are more things yet to be discovered in the series. Like I said, it's 12 episodes. uh, So 10 more episodes to go. It'll be interesting to see what comes up next. These are full length episodes. They are a little more than an hour, I believe. So full length episodes and it can be found on Netflix. So next up, we've got Cutie Pie and... That can be found on the Manzi channel on YouTube. I talked a little bit about episode one just very briefly uh, in my last podcast. It stars Z and Nu. So Z is playing Leanne and Nu is playing Kua or Kieran, his alternate identity. And the other characters are Dao and Yi. His name escaped me for a moment. I remembered the actor's name was Max, but <laughs> Yi is the character's name. And the story of Cutie Pie is that Leanne is from a family of, it's a self-made wealthy family. They gain their wealth. It appears they gain their wealth with the help and, and just guidance of Kua's grandfather. Kua is from an old money family. When Kua and Leanne are young, the families make an arrangement. Basically, they have an, it's an arranged marriage between Kua and Leanne. Kua winds up going to school in Britain, so he leaves for a while, but now he is back in college and ready to reunite with Leanne and, and hopefully get married soon or get together soon. I don't remember if they say how long it, it is that he's been back in Thailand, but he meets up with Leanne every week for a date, uh, Friday night for a date, and he really loves Leanne and he arranges his life and his schedule around this date with Leanne. So he really does care for him, but he comes to realize or he comes to believe 
that Leanne does not care for him in the same way because he feels like Leanne treats him coldly and is not treating him like a fiance. Of course, the issue is that Leanne, or we think the issue is that Leanne realizes that Kua is not being straight with him. Kua is hiding his real identity. Leanne tells him, you know, he's he's like a doll. He's not showing who he truly is. And he's correct, of course, because Kua has this whole secret identity as Karen, who is a singer, amateur singer. I don't know if he gets paid. A singer who some or a singer slash drummer who sometimes performs in a, a rival nightclub to a nightclub that Leanne owns. And somehow Leanne figures this out. So that's kind of why he's treating Kua coldly. I think he's trying to force Kua to show his real true self. But this way that he's treating Kua winds up backfiring on him because Kua just gets sick of being treated that way and decides that he wants to break off the engagement, which is somewhat of a shock to Leanne. Episode two is basically the aftermath of Kua having broken up with Leanne. He had gotten drunk and now he's just at home with a hangover, basically. And we get a little flashback of how he met Diao. In episode one, let me backtrack. In episode one, he calls Diao, tells him to meet him at his secret house and tells him what happened. And so episode two just begins with them uh, the next morning. When Kua wakes up, Diao comes over and, you know, brings some food and everything to check on how he's doing. I really like their friendship. It's actually a really cute friendship. I, I kind of laugh at the flashback because Kua is in the kitchen and he wants to cook some ramen. And he they they exaggerate and say, like, he almost burned down the house. But that's <laughs> that's not true. But anyway, he doesn't know what he's doing. And Diao's like, oh, so it's the first time you make ramen. And, and Kua says, no, it's the first time I'm in a kitchen. <laughs> Which I'm like, wow, you have to be really, you have to be not just rich, but rich, rich <laughs> to never have stepped foot in the kitchen once. So that just shows you how wealthy and old money Kua's family is. He's grown up, always being taken care of, always having servants around probably. What I, I have to say what I like about Kua, even though he's from this old money family, I mean, we're only up to episode three, but he's not, they're not putting him as some kind of rich brat. He seems nice spoiled and I just say spoiled by like he hasn't had to to do certain things for himself but he just seems really nice he's got his friends in school that he seems to treat well and of course his friendship with Dao is wonderful he doesn't put on airs and I really appreciate that about him and his character and the way the writing is that they're not automatically portraying him as some horrible person because he comes from old wealth Everyone in the family we've seen so far actually seems okay. They just happen to be wealthy. <laughs> but I think Kua does realize that he comes from wealth and he's had certain things easy, to, so to speak, or certain things handed to him. And that's probably part of the reason for Kieran or his alter ego of Kieran. This is the one thing that he's doing on his own. No one has handed it to him. No one knows who he is. Everything is just based on his ability. His amazing ability as a singer and as a drummer. And as part of his alter ego, he decides he's not going to hide anymore. After his breakup with Leanne, he just wants to be free and I guess show who he truly is. And so in episode two, he goes to the club and takes his cap off. He's been kind of covering his face this whole time and just announces who he is, that his name is Kua. He does not say his last name. He doesn't go and tell everyone in the room that he's from this wealthy family, but he just says his name is really Kua, it's not Kieran, and he's no longer hiding 
Unbeknownst to him, Leanne is in the club and is hearing all of this. Kua goes to sing a very touching song that obviously is about his relationship with Leanne. And you see Leanne listening and feeling like a kind of regret about what's gone on between them. He doesn't plan to approach him, though, apparently. He's just really listening. But Kuat just gets super, super drunk after his performance. And Zhao had had to leave earlier. And he asked Jay, who is the character played by Perth, to keep an eye on Kuat. Jay does not really keep a good eye on Kuat. <laughs> and someone approaches Kuat, gets a little too touchy-feely when they're dancing. And Leon, Leanne comes and is, you know, hands-off kinds of. Kua, as I said, is so drunk. He doesn't even realize that that's Leanne. He doesn't recognize him. And so he's fighting Leanne because Leanne's trying to take him out of the bar because he's too drunk. And Jay does not, does not try to stop him. He's supposed to be watching out for Kua and does not try to stop him at all. I guess he knows who Leanne is. So he thinks that Kua's going to be okay with Leanne. But he also knows that they broke up. So you're basically just sending him off with his ex-boyfriends and you don't even care. In this episode too, we also see a confrontation between Dao and Yi because Leanne sends a picture to Yi of Dao being in the bar because Dao had told Yi that he was at home. And so Yi comes to the bar and gets Dao and he's really upset because Dao lied to him. And Dao just breaks down crying about being, I guess, yelled at by Yi. We don't really know the background to these two characters. I saw someone on Twitter saying that in the book, well, they were explaining a little bit about how their their relationship in the book and why it's as tense as it is. Let's say it that way. But they also say that they are engaged and that Zhao is from a family that's also of money. They haven't really gotten into any of that here so far. We just know that Yi is always looking out for Zhao, always wants to know where he is. We don't know anything about Zhao coming from a family of money. I mean, we, you can guess that he probably did because he's going to the same school in Britain as Kua was. But we really don't know anything about him so far except that he's an awesome friend to Kua. That's all we know. And Yi is Lian's best friend. But they haven't gotten into their storylines. I hope they do. I hope they don't get forgotten in the shuffle as the show goes on. They're not the main couple. So we're maybe not going to get as in-depth as Kua and Leanne's relationship. But they do need to explain something about them. Because right now it's a little bit confusing. So at the end of episode two, Leanne does succeed in taking Kua home. As it turns out to Kua's secret house because Kua is so drunk that he tells them where to go, where the secret house is. And episode three is just the aftermath of that. Kua, again, was so drunk. He doesn't know if he's dreaming. He doesn't know if it was really Leanne that took him home. He doesn't know what's what's happening. Now, I have to say, usually people act really silly when they're drunk. It's not a cute look, but Kua is really cute when he's drunk because <laughs> he... He just, Leanne is literally in front of him and he's just like, I don't know you. Where's Leanne? <laughs> you know, the way Leanne is dressed, he's like, no, you can't be Leanne. Kind of like, look at how you're dressed. It's just really funny and also really sad because at the same time, he's also wishing that it was Leanne. And so it's like, why can't you love me even just a little bit? And Leanne is there kind of sad because he's seeing what he's reduced Kuatu by his coldness. But he's also in some ways really fascinated by this side of Kua that Kua never lets him see. And it just kind of makes him more determined to get to know this Kua. 
his way of doing that is is to not acknowledge the the breaking of the engagement anyway. And he decides he's going to bring Kua to come live with him in his house. So that'll force them to be around each other. And I guess that'll be his campaign to get Kua to not fall in love with him again, because Kua's not out of love. He's just kind of in his in a protective shell now, not wanting to be hurt, right? But this is Leanne's way of getting through that shell of getting to know Kua, the real Kua. And the only way to do that is for them to live with each other, where Kua cannot hide in his secret house or hide in his in his regular house. There's no, Leanne is not going to let him hide anymore. So even though this is all cute and funny in its own way, I feel like Leanne is being a bit unfair to Kua as well, because he's upset that Kua is hiding himself, but Leanne is hiding himself too, right? <laughs> he's not showing that he really does have affection for Kua. Maybe he really loves him. I can't even tell does he really love him right now at this point. I know he's fascinated by Kua. He's fascinated by Kieran, Kua's alter ego. And he's determined for the engagement to go forward. But is it because he made the promise to Kua's family? Or is it just that he's upset that it would be Kua who would break the engagement? Or is it that he really does love him? So he's hiding as well just in a different way. So I think they picked good actors for these roles. Z, Z we know is going to be good. <laughs> if you've seen Why Are You, you know he's going to be good. New is is new <laughs> to, to acting. Uh, but he's doing, he's doing well. I think he's doing really well in the role. He's really cute. I, and I don't mean cute physically in that way. I just mean he's cute like a teddy bear. You know, the, the name Cutie Pie really fits for him and for Dao as well. And the other thing is, he has a really good voice. I know we see a lot of times uh, BL actors or just actually, and I'm speaking specifically Thai dramas. I'm not as familiar, I guess, with Korean BLs because, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a new industry, so to speak. But for Thai dramas, a lot of these actors they do have them singing. They'll have them singing on the OSTs and stuff like that. But if you really listen, a lot of time there's some some auto-tune or some effects on the songs and they'll sound okay. I'm not saying people sound bad. They'll sound okay. But New, you could tell, is a, he's a singer. He really is a singer. And he's got several covers actually on the Manzi channel where he covers several songs. And if I remember, <laughs> I will put some links in the show notes so that you can go and see some of his performances on the Manzi channel. I think he also has a couple with Z there as well. But uh, he's just got a really beautiful voice. And the opening song OST, oh my goodness, that song will stay stuck in your head for like a couple of days after you hear it. <laughs> it's just got a hook to it. And of course, his voice. But actually, he sings a song in episode two, the song about his sad relationship with Leanne. I actually liked that song better. The The opening song for Cutie Pie, he's singing with a falsetto all the way through. The song he sings in the club in episode two, it's not a falsetto. It's just his beautiful tenor voice. And I like that one better. But I've seen a few of his covers and every time, everything I've seen, he sounds really good. So we'll see what happens in the next few episodes. How is Leanne going to get past the walls that Kua has built? that Leanne made Kua build, basically. How is he going to get past those walls? What is the story with Zhao and Yi? Please let us get more of this storyline. 
And they've just actually introduced a new character into the show. Uh, I don't Nua, I think his name is. He seems a little suspicious. What episode was it? Was it episode one? Someone calls Leanne and Leanne says something about stop following Kua, stop taking pictures of him or something like that. I don't know if that's that new character they've introduced, if he's someone who's spying on Kua. I don't know. We will see. So next up, I will be talking about First Love Again. This is a Korean BL that can be found on Viki. I will read to you a bit of the summary on Viki. I think the summary is actually longer than the episodes are. <laughs> because like most like most Korean BLs, these are not full-length episodes. They're about 20 minutes long. Here we go. 300 years ago, Yeon Suk miraculously managed to find the love of his life, a pretty young lady by the name of Ha Yeon. However, with both bearing a lowly social status, the relationship was doomed before it even began. I don't know if that's true. It's him that has the low social status, not her, actually. But let me keep going. Devastated by his unfulfilled love, Yeon Suk was determined to find Ha Young again in another life. Finding a way to keep his memories intact, Young Yeon Suk sets out to do just that and miraculously succeeds. But even after finding Ha Young in a, in a second life, the obstacles before them never made it possible for their love to fully bloom. Now in his third life, Yeon Suk refuses to give up on finding Ha Yeon. He's a popular web novelist. He's come a long way from where he was 300 years ago. But without Ha Yeon, life just isn't what it ought to be. So I'm going to stop there. It's a longer summary. But but he is writing, Yeon Suk is writing these novels based on his past life experiences. At the same time, he is trying to find Ta Young in this life and helping him is someone who was, I guess, a cat spirit who presents as female, but does not consider themselves to be female. They are a cat. So, but the world sees them as female. So I'm, I'm probably just going to be saying she without realizing throughout the episode, throughout this episode, this podcast, she is his manager in this life uh, as he's a writer and she hires, she finds, let me say that, Ha Yun. The only problem, quote unquote, is that Ha Yun is now a male. Now, she being the cat spirit, <laughs> an ancient cat spirit or whatever she is, she actually does not, she herself does not really care male, female doesn't matter to her, but she knows that Yeon Sok may have an issue with this. So she's not sure what to tell him about Ha Yun. They do eventually tell him and it's a whole thing like, well, if you found Ha Young and Ha Young was different, how would you feel? And Yun Suk is like, I don't care. I'm in love. And and his manager's like, well, what if it was someone older than you? And he's like, I don't care. I'm in love. Of course, when it turns out it's a male, he's no longer saying, I don't care. I'm in love. He's just completely and totally shocked and does not know how to respond to this. So I will jump back into the last little little paragraph in the summary. Finding himself naturally drawn to Ha Yun, Yun Suk is forced to ask himself a very important question. Is he willing to give up on a love that has spanned three centuries or can he accept Ha Young no matter what? And I have to say I wasn't sure what to expect from the show. It looked like not the highest budget at first when I started watching, but it looks fine in terms of cinematography. These actors have really good chemistry together and the actor playing Yun Suk, the writer, his expressions are so funny because he really does not know. He honestly looks shocked. Like he honestly does not know what to do with himself, what to do with Ha Yun, <laughs> which is really the more important piece. At first he pushes him away because he's just, 
he decides, you know, no, this is this can't be. I'm just not gonna not gonna be with him. His manager is like, are you kidding me? You've been looking for this person for 300 years. They're right in front of you and decides to actually hire Hyun to be an editor for Yunsuk. And so Hyun is always now going to be around Yunsuk. And of course, within just a few minutes of being around Yunsuk, Yunsuk just can't help himself. This is the love of his life that he's been waiting hundreds of years for. And he finally found them. And he wants to pursue it, but just doesn't know how to pursue it. At the same time, Hyun has a childhood friend or family friend who's constantly in his orbit, constantly around him, just appears out of nowhere <laughs> whenever Yunsuk and Hyun are together. Yunsuk just decides he's, I was going to say going to go for it, but that made him, that makes it sound like he's like full steam ahead, but he's going to try something. He, he can't let Hyun go, right? He wants to be around him somehow. He just has to figure out how and what he's going to do. But every time he feels like he's getting a step closer, here comes Hyun's childhood friend out of nowhere through the from the shadows, <laughs> showing up, taking Hyun away to dinner or whatever it might be. And Yatsuk is just looking at the guy like, are you serious? Here you are again. And it's good in a way because he gets to feel a little bit of jealousy and that gives him a little bit more urgency to be like, no, I have to figure this out before Hyun gets taken away by this guy. At some point, Yunsuk meets Hyun's sister, and she actually looks like who was his love in the previous life. And so there's some confusion. He feels a little bit of confusion there, but they didn't drag. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in the next few episodes, but they didn't drag it out in these. He didn't suddenly start liking the sister just because she looked like his his love. It confused him for a little bit, but he realized, no, it's it's Hyun. Male or female, it's Hyun that's the one that his is his love. And luckily for him, Hyun seems to like him back. So they do have some progress in episode four. We will see what happens later. I'm actually really curious. I see some people, I think it was in, I don't remember if it was in the comments on Vicky that I saw this or if it was on Twitter, who are wondering if Hyun actually also has uh, the memories from the past life as well. He's not indicating that he does, but... But I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll maybe that's something that we'll see later uh, explored in later episodes. And then, of course, last but not least, we've got Not Me episodes 11 and 12. So Not Me uh, episode 11 is the aftermath of the ambush on the garage. Remember in episode 10, we saw these men who appeared to work for Tawi storming the garage. And we saw Sean appear to get shot. We saw Dan appear to get shot. So in this episode, we see that Sean did get shot. He, he was grazed by bullet. Dan actually was shot in the shoulder. Poor Yuck has to dig the bullet out <laughs> because there's just no other way because Dan cannot go to the hospital. If he goes to the hospital, they're going to ask him in the hospital, how did he get shot? Especially being a police officer, the police are really going to want to investigate who was it that hurt him. So it forces them to go to Dan's lair, to his artist studio, where Yuck has to be the one to pull the bullet out. While they're there, Dan confesses to Yuck that he was, in fact, the person who shot and killed Sean's father. And he's been carrying this tremendous guilt with him all these years, and he wants to tell Sean the truth. And actually, Yuck tells him not to, because he says they have this plan, this mission that they're going to be working on, and it's going to be just going to be distracting to Sean to find this out now. He can tell him, 
but that now is not the right moment. But you can tell this doesn't really sit right with Dan because he's just he's just been carrying that tremendous guilt with him this whole time. Also in this episode, White has escaped with Sean, is heading towards the abandoned building because they can't go back to the garage, obviously. And Sean is just very upset because remember in episode 10, Black had beaten him up and told him to stay away. And he's Sean still doesn't know at this point that that really that not really white that did, did that to him but he's telling white you told you know what's wrong with you You told me to stay away from you and that's black uh, i'm sorry white <laughs> is just kind of confused and upset because he realizes that that was black that must have done that but he still is not telling sean the truth about that that was not really him at the same time that all these people are escaping we have black going to todd's warehouse to talk to him not not his warehouse i'm sorry his penthouse Todd appears to think that's white and talking to, and starts talking to him. It turns out he knew it was black. I kind of figured he did just by the way he he looked at him when he walked in. He paused for a second and then greeted him. And I was like, oh, I think he knows. And yes, he did know. He wound up spiking Black's drink, choking Black, <laughs> almost trying to kill him, I guess. And this causes White to crash the bike because... Remember, white, they are connected. White is feeling everything that black is feeling. And black is currently being drowned in a pool at Todd's <laughs> penthouse. So white is crashing the bike. Sean is on the back of this bike. He's yelling, you know, black, black. He doesn't know what's going on because he doesn't know about this connection. He doesn't know they're twins. And this is interesting to me, actually, this whole thing between black and Todd, because we get to learn a little more about Todd's motivations. Todd does not think he is a bad guy, obviously. Todd wants to get rid of Tawi as well, but he wants to get rid of him so that he can take control. And it almost seems like he thinks he's not as I, I was about to say black is idealistic. I don't know if that's the word, but I'm going to use it. He's not as idealistic as black in terms of thinking he can make big societal changes, but he seems to think he can make some kind of changes if he's the one in charge, that he won't be as bad as Tawi. But of course, Black points out to him, power corrupts, basically. It will change you. And we see it has, in fact, changed him in some way. I mean, he got Black beaten up, beaten up severely enough that he was in a coma. But on the other hand, he doesn't kill him here when he has the chance to. And Black was not able to fight back. He really could have killed him, and he didn't. We see a little flashback where between Todd and Black, where we see a little bit of their talking to each other about this, the philosophy of the societal changes and things. And they have an interesting discussion where they bring up Martin Luther King and his history of civil disobedience. And Black apparently admires Martin Luther King. Todd is kind of like, would those things work here? First of all, Martin Luther King was assassinated for what he was trying to do. And, you know, he says, this is Thailand. This is different. So first of all, this episode aired in February, right? So it was still Black History Month. So that was cool that they mentioned Martin Luther King there. But Martin Luther King, at the time he was assassinated, was working on um, what was the Poor People's Crusade, I think it was called, Poor People's Crusade. So a lot of people think of Martin Luther King as fighting for Black people, basically, for civil rights. But Martin Luther King was also fighting for economically disadvantaged people, for economic justice. And it's something people have kind of, some people have forgotten about, or it's just not taught in school. But he was fighting for economic justice. So actually, in that sense, I think he would fit perfectly, his philosophies would 
fit perfectly in Taiwan. They would fit perfectly in any country. I don't know every country in the world, but I can't think of one country where there is complete economic justice for all members of society. I feel like every country has the downtrodden families living in poverty, generations of poverty, you know, cycles of poverty. So in that sense, I think uh, Martin Luther King, his philosophies would really fit in anywhere. So I don't agree with you, Todd. <laughs> so back at the abandoned building, White is dressing Sean's wounds. Sean winds up laying down. White promises to stay or says that he will stay next to him. And Sean has this dream of White saying, you know, he'll stay by his side. And it is a dream. It was a little confusion at first, but it is a dream because if you look at White, he's not wearing, he is wearing an earring. And remember, Black had already taken all of his earrings back from White. So that was a dream that Sean was having. And when he wakes up, White is not there anymore. And he goes up to the roof. He's even looking for him. Doesn't find him, of course, and leaves the button behind on the roof that he had taken from White's shirt in, I think it was episode nine. For some reason, I'm really worried about that button. <laughs> I keep hoping that he'll go back and get it. And so far, he hasn't. He did it in episode 11, and he did not get it in episode 12 when he did wind up back on that roof again, which I'll talk about in a couple minutes. But we didn't see him picking up the button. Now, they did cut away, actually, from him on the roof. So maybe he did pick it up while we weren't looking. But so far, that button is still up there. And it was kind of sad when he put it down. It was almost as if he was giving up on their relationship. Which turned out not to be the case, but that's what it looked like at the moment. So I actually felt kind of sad when he laid the buttons out on the roof the way that he did. But in any case, he got some sort of clarity. I don't know if when he woke up or somehow he got some sort of clarity. And when Black shows up at the art studio, Sean is looking at him like very suspiciously. And you, you start to realize he has realized that Black is a twin and his way of testing him is to try to do the trust fall with him that they, Black and Sean, have both done with each other at certain points. And I'm sorry, not Black and Sean, White and Sean have done with each other. And of course, Black lets him fall to the floor <laughs> because he has no idea what he's doing. And he's looking at him like, what's up with you? And that's when Sean fully realizes this is not White because White would have never let him fall. And he confronts Black. He handcuffs him punches him in the face, which for some reason was really satisfying, even though I'm not into violence at all. <laughs> and is telling Black, tell me where he is. I know you have a twin. Tell me where he is. Black denies it at first for, for like a few seconds and then is like, don't come close to my little brother. And the look on Sean's face, kind of shocked for a second, but like, okay, it's finally been confirmed. I'm not going nuts. It's been confirmed. And he tells him, you know, I'm not staying away from your brother. You can't stop me. And that's the end of episode 11. Episode 12, Sean goes to look for White. He still doesn't know his name, actually, but he goes to look for Black's brother, even though Black is telling him, you know, stay away. But unfortunately, Black has already met, met with White and has told White, please stay away from my friends. Stay away from Sean. And so when Sean finally does catch up to him, to White, he's begging White to he asks, first of all, what is his name? He finds out his name is White. It's so cute. He hugs him close. He's so relieved to finally know who he is. He is so, Sean is so in love, you know, and he's begging White to come back with him, to not listen to whatever Black told him. White is just like, you know, I'm sorry, I can't. And it's, it kind of breaks Sean's heart. And he's like, if, if you don't come back with me, please 
do me the favor. You owe me a favor. Don't show up in front of me again because I need to get over you. And it's it's heartbreaking. He's heartbroken. He walks away. White is just left, just left there crying. He's heartbroken too. All because they're all listening to Black who... I'm not going to call Black a jerk because he's really just trying to protect his brother. He doesn't want White involved in the kind of life that he's been leading because obviously it's very dangerous. I mean, look what happened to him. He wounds up in the hospital in a coma and he doesn't want that for his little brother. So it's understandable that he's trying to protect him. But at the same time, it's White's decision and he's fallen in love with Sean already and it would break his heart not to be with Sean. And it doesn't work anyway, because eventually he changes his mind and realizes that he does need to be with Sean and goes to look for Sean. And it's kind of a reversal of roles in a way here, because when Sean goes to find White, he winds up chasing White because White runs away from him at first. But then when White goes to find Sean or to go with him to the warehouse, to the mission that Sean is going on, he winds up chasing after Sean because Sean is running away from him. And it's funny as I watch this episode because the first thing that happens before they go running around is that White is following Sean on the bike and then kind of cuts him off. Or Sean stops because he realizes someone's following him. White confronts him. Sean doesn't want to listen to him and is about to take off. And White takes the keys out of his motorcycle and... Sean takes and Sean runs off and White just leaves the keys on the motorcycle and chases after him. And I'm just thinking to myself, are they going to find that motorcycle when they come back? (laughs) Because anyone who lives in a major city knows you do not leave your keys on top of your motorcycle, in your car, whatever it might be, anywhere where someone can easily come and just ride off with your with your vehicle. But anyway, White does chase them down and apologizes to him and they they reunite and White promises to stay with him and they go on their little mission. And again, Sean, during the mission, extracts a promise from him to to not leave him and also to come clean with the rest of the gang about who he is, which he does. And you can tell he's scared. And at first they don't even believe him, of course, because who would believe that that and they eventually do believe him and even start kind of teasing him and teasing Sean in a way about the relationship and You can see White is like very a little bit shy, but also just relieved that the gang has accepted him. We get to see a little more of Black's protective nature as well. He's very protective of White. He's kind of protective of all of them in a way because he's going on his little on his mission. He wants to confront Todd, but he doesn't want to get anyone else involved. He doesn't want anyone else getting hurt. But in this episode, he's just going around saying goodbye to everyone. He says goodbye to White. He says a couple times, like, we may not see each other again. He says goodbye to Eugene. I think he thinks he's going to die, but it's a question we've has not been answered for us. If he does die, what's going to happen to White? So I don't think they can kill him because I really think their connection is so strong. I don't think White would survive it. So he has to stay alive. And White tells him, like, you have to stay alive. So one thing I kind of skipped over that happened to my, about midway is a scene that I'm kind of conflicted on. Dan cannot hold the guilt in anymore. He tells Sean that he's the one who killed his father. Sean gets angry, grabs Dan's gun, and basically tells him to use it on his on himself, you know, life for a life. And Yok sees this because Dan does hold the gun up to himself. Yok comes running out and then is like yelling at Sean. Sean's yelling back. Graham comes and starts yelling at Sean, you know, pull yourself together, etc. And I'm not sure how I feel about that scene. 
of course, you don't want Dan to have used the gun, obviously. And Sean, so Graham tells him, if you really think he should die, you take the gun and you shoot him. So, of course, we don't want Sean shooting him either. We don't want Dan getting hurt. But I did not appreciate the way they were all yelling and ganging up on him, especially Graham, who this is the first time he's even hearing any of this. I know Yuck, of course, is going to defend Dan because that's his. I don't know if they've defined each other as boyfriends yet, but that's his love interest. Of course, he's going to defend him. Graham doesn't have a stake in this in that sense. This is the first time he is even hearing that Dan is the one who shot Sean's father. So why is he yelling at Sean? I mean, I I guess he's yelling at him because he doesn't want Sean making a mistake. So it's to protect him. But I just felt like they really ganged up on Sean and were not mindful of what he had gone through. You know, at the end of the day, as guilty as Sean, as Dan feels, and as much sympathy as I have for him for his guilt, he killed Sean's father. At the end of the day, he killed Sean's father. He took away Sean's father. He keeps saying he's trying to make it up to him. York is saying he's trying to make it up to him. Unless he can bring back Sean's father from the dead, then there's no real way of making it up. He can try and we can appreciate the effort he's making for it. But don't yell at Sean and act like he's insane for being angry about what Dan did. He has a perfect right to feel what he's feeling. And they didn't let him have those feelings. That's what bothered me in that scene. Again, I'm not saying he should have shot Dan or anything like that. But I think they just should have taken Dan away. Let Sean feel his feelings. And then talk to Sean about forgiveness or you know whatever it was whatever they needed to say to calm Sean down to to be to to change his point of view etc but that that ganging up on him it just didn't sit well with me the way they ganged up on him they should have just taken Dan away from the moment for the moment until everyone calmed down and then then talked about it it should have been handled differently that's just my personal opinion so I have seen episodes 11 and 12 a ridiculous amount of times they might be my they might be my favorite episodes, I think, in the series so far. This series just keeps getting better and better. We've got two episodes left. The next episode, they are going to confront Tawi, I guess. They're going to show that those that Tawi is really the one selling drugs, basically. They're trying to take Tawi down, but they run into an obstacle. It looks like they may have been betrayed. The previews, the previews making it seem like Dan has betrayed them. I don't think Dan has betrayed them. I mean, it's totally possible, but I don't think it's him. Gumpa has been a mysterious figure this whole time, and he's not in the preview. In the preview, when they are driving in the truck and they're about to reach a uh, police checkpoint where they might get caught, Gumpa is not there. So he's been kind of a mysterious figure. We don't know much about him. Graham is a little bit mysterious, I feel, as well. I can't tell if it's mysterious or just they haven't given us much to work with with Graham. He was kind of dropped. He like disappeared for a few episodes. The whole storyline he's going he's got going on with Eugene. I'm really not feeling it that much, but you know, it is what it is. I'm just not sure about Graham. I'm just not sure. I don't know. We'll see what happens in the next episode. Maybe no one's betrayed anyone and it's just part of the sting operation that Dan is is participating in to somehow bring Tawi down. I said in the previous podcast, I'm not sure about Dan and Yok having a good ending. I still am not sure. And not even necessarily because I think Dan might have betrayed someone. I'm just wondering if one of those two will get hurt protecting the other one. 
especially Dan. Dan's a police officer. You know, it might be that he could get hurt. So I'm not sure what ending we're going to have for that pairing. So I can't believe it's only two episodes left. It's so short. I read somewhere that it was supposed to be 16. I wish it had been. Anyway, two more episodes for a total of 14. And then I don't think they've officially announced what comes next, but I think it's probably Cupid's Last Wish will probably take over the time slot. GMMTV keeps putting all these clips from the show and it's, they're driving us nuts, right? In a way, it's really good that they're doing this. But on the other hand, it's just like, hurry up and show the show already. But I think, like I said, it's probably going to take Not Me's time slot. And based on all those clips we've seen for, for Cupid's Last Wish, actually, the original, the trailer when they put it out, it seemed very angsty. But actually, all of those clips that they've been showing, some have angst. But it's very, it's comedic as well. So... We'll see. We'll see the final product. It's hard to tell just from a few clips here and there what the tone of the show will be. But so far, it doesn't look like it's probably like it's as angsty as it first appeared. So this episode was really long. (laughs) But thanks for hanging in there. This has been episode 32 of Notes from a Drama Watcher. If you've got any suggestions about other shows I might watch or just a comment on any of the shows I've mentioned here, go ahead and let me know. You can reach out to me on Twitter at DramaWatcher6 or via email at dramawatchernotes at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening in and stay safe, everyone.